You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Hey, Commander, looking good? Kenobi, you look worse for wear. How's Temple life? Good to see you, too. Yes, well, if you could tell time half as well as you could stick a landing, we wouldn't be behind schedule now, would we? Well, that's your opinion, man. Let's get down to business. We must defeat him. Get up. Kill him! Kill him, you fool! Your weakness will not be my downfall. A failed apprentice makes for a foolish master. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. Great supplemental episode for you this evening. I am your host, Matthew Rushing, and I'm super excited to be here tonight. One, uh, as we're recording this, uh, it is my birthday tomorrow, and Ruby has brought me the good stuff. That's right, got some 18-year-old McCallan here. And hey, Ru- Ruby, is this is this the same price as normal? Uh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We got it covered. It's all okay. Good. No. Oh, she just told me it's on the house. Yep. Thanks. Thanks, Ruby. <laughs> uh, so, wow. Uh, but I'm excited because um, John Mills is, is with me in the house, and uh, we're oh. here to talk uh, some Star Wars, and uh, not just some, some Star Wars, but a Star Wars novel that has just come out, and John, uh, I have been just dying to talk about this all week. Oh yeah, me too. Me too. I uh, I tore through this uh, uh, the July Fourth weekend and just have been looking forward to talking about it for days. Just going back and reviewing my notes on it. Uh, it's this is going to be a good one. Well, we're going to be talking about Dark Disciple tonight, and I'm with you. I uh, Not only was I excited to get this book, uh, we were able to get it a little bit early there from NetGallery, and, and thank you so much to uh, Delray for getting us the hookup. We really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, it allowed us to, to get a chance to read it. Um, we wanted to record earlier, but with schedules and everything, it's, it's tough. We're both busy men, uh, and we both found out today we're both busy Sicilian men, so... Well, you know, we uh, we have things to do. You know, we couldn't get busy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we just couldn't do it. You know, busy Sicilian men are men that are not to be trifled with, Matthew. This is true. This you is true, that. and especially with the Star Wars knowledge between us. I mean, I don't want to brag, but yeah, no, it's you know, yeah. If if Pop had a wartime conciliary, somebody who went through the Star Wars, we wouldn't be in this mess. That's right. That's right. Yes. Just gotta go to. I gotta go to the mattresses. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm excited because, as everybody knows, you know, um, Disney bought Star Wars, and of course uh, that stopped the production of the Clone Wars. And there were many, many episodes that were in production, and we got some of those with the Lost Missions, which was fantastic. But then there were a lot of other Clone Wars episodes that 
uh, we didn't have finished. They didn't have finished enough. They didn't have the actor audio in them. And so uh, we have gotten a few story reels, the Crisis on Ulupau. Uh, we had the Bad Batch as well come out. Uh, we've had a comic series, uh, The Son of Dathomir, which was going to kind of be a continuation of Darth Maul's story. And this was, John, I couldn't believe this when I heard it. It was going to be an eight-part arc of the Clone Wars. So basically, like, almost half a season yeah. of the Clone Wars. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I am struggling to think of anything that they did that was longer than a four-arc. I mean, technically, you could say that some of the stuff where they went back... Like, if you went through all of the five aired seasons, I think you could probably string together an eight-episode arc. But, you know, because of, you know, all of the episodes fitting together, but... I honestly don't recall them being so ambitious. Like that, this was sort of hard to take because it was a sign that they knew. Because I think they were only planning for seven years total to begin with, right? You know, I honestly think, if I remember correctly, and I feel like if I'm wrong, we'll get plenty of fans that will yeah. remind us. But I feel like they had, you know, eight, nine seasons, kind of. Uh, thought about at least. Um, well, so the number the it, number seven sort of on. number seven sort of sticks in my head, but it's a sign that they were they were willing to be really bold uh, at the end. Like it, the history of the Clone Wars series is, they're very sort of trepidatious in the beginning, and they occasionally do the the trilogy arcs, you know, just as the callback to the trilogies and everything. And then as they went forward, they got a little bit more bold doing dual arcs and then four episode arcs. And then an eight episode arc would have been crazy insane uh, to try to keep up with. And I mean, I we'll get to the book, but, you know, I I just want to I just want to say that this book is so good that it makes me wish this had been produced but at the same time I'm glad that it wasn't because I truly struggle with how this could have translated straight as an animated show without the sort of room to breathe in the timeline uh that that a book gives it the development time for the characters that's allowed yeah no I'm I'm with you um and I think one of the coolest things that I was the other day, uh, they fi- they finally put the um, Untold Clone Wars Stories uh, celebration panel on YouTube, and I was able to watch through that hour-long special, and, and uh, Dave Filoni and, and Pablo Hidalgo were sitting there talking about all these unproduced Clone Wars stories and, and places that they were thinking about going. Uh, I mean, if you haven't seen it, I will link it in our show notes, but it is it is just brilliant. Uh, some of the things that they were thinking of, including possibly even having maybe the Yuzhan Vong show up in, in an arc yeah, um, um, with a scout ship, which, you know, uh, just the thought that they were even thinking about Maybe going there is just it. One, it shows you how much they cared about what people enjoyed, EU wise, whether you liked it or not. I mean, they cared and they were trying to add as much as possible. And two, um, I, I think what really came out of that arc that I thought was interesting, directly applying to Dark Disciple with Asajj Ventress, was the fact that George was a big fan of of um, Voss. 
Uh, he liked him, and he was also a big fan of Asajj, but he really didn't like her uh, being this acolyte of, of Dooku. And he's the one who really kind of pushed to have her kicked out by Sidious, basically, uh, telling Dooku to get rid of her and have her go her own way. And I thought that was really cool because, as I said in my, my written review, I mean... George knew exactly what he was talking about, especially when you talk about creating um, a really dynamic arc for a character who, at the beginning of the Clone Wars and even in the Tartakovsky series, is, is kind of just kind of the mustache-twirling villain, you know, um, very kind of one-note in a lot of ways. Yeah, I... Her arc, I mean, I, I'm surprised that he would have had to, quote-unquote, push, because her her arc had to end... Uh, in terms of her relationship to the Sith, either with banishment or betrayal, because there's got to be room for Anakin. Like, they, uh, unless they were going to stage something where, like, Dooku tried to take over Sidious and Sidious himself killed Ventress, or you know that that sort of thing. Um, so her her banishment from you know being a, a Sith acolyte made perfect sense just because it it had to happen that said when the show was canceled after she was no longer the acolyte they took her in an interesting direction and it always felt when the show ended that there was something more they could have told about her and that's another reason i think to be glad for this book is it gives you that something more that like this helps you know close off that thread uh, with her and it also highlights for me because Ventress was a very interesting character um, through the entire thing going back to Tartakovsky I, I always loved Ventress I always sort of wanted a female Sith in the movies because yeah, one of the things yeah. that I thought would have been very interesting is Obi-Wan always said that Vader was seduced by the dark side of the force I thought there would have been an interesting possibility for a female Sith to literally seduce Anakin so that his betrayal is a betrayal of his wife and the Jedi on a very fundamental level. Like his entire personality was subverted. That didn't happen. I still love the movies that we got, but it was always Ventress was sort of like an act of fulfillment to me of that, that character that could have been. So it was always fun to indulge. Um, But I, I want to ask you uh, first about the writing style. Um, this is written by Christy Golden. I've never read anything personally by her before this. And I can tell you that I was so impressed with the way she wrote things that I'm going to go and purchase other things that she wrote now. I'm going to go pursue her as an author, not just as a Star Wars or you know, fantasy writer. Like, I want to go find other things that Christy Golden has done. I have read her Voyager books um, because she's written Star Wars books. She wrote in the Fate of the Jedi series, which um, not a lot of people... Well, I, I didn't say... I liked the series. I, I liked um, that series a lot, actually. I, I thought it was really interesting. And for the most part, really, and I enjoyed it. Um, and so she has written Star Wars books before, and she's actually written a a Sith female character before. So it was very interesting to have her writing Asajj Ventress again. She she has the familiarity 
with that kind of character. And uh, it's not the same character. And and, uh, what's interesting is that Asajj has an arc that's a a lot like the character she wrote, and yet she goes to a completely, like Asajj goes to a completely different place than her other female character did. So uh, I do want to stop real quick before we do anything. Yeah, yeah. We're going to give the spoiler alert here. Um, We're going to rip this book apart with spoilers. So if you haven't read Dark Disciple, I do want to say spoilers. Spoilers. Uh, th- that, that's fair. Uh, I I have a default setting to try to avoid them, but there are going to be plot points that we talk about where I think it's going to be impossible. So let's start off soft about the spoiler territory here. So long as we're talking about Asajj. I, I know my thoughts on the matter, but something that all the best Clone Wars arcs did uh, were they raised other questions, other character questions, uh, where you would wonder about, well, wait a minute, what does this mean? Like, it, it challenged you intellectually the same way the movies do. And as it, something that happens in this book is Obi-Wan basically showers praise on Asajj Ventress. Uh Praise in the sense that he keeps telling Quinlan Voss, watch out for her. She is a formidable foe. He even says at one point, she's more practiced in the Force than some Jedi, which is a huge statement to make. But given that, and given the fact that Dooku has you know cast her aside, one of the things that I wonder about with this book is, why didn't the Jedi ever try to reclaim somebody like Ventress? Does that play into the sense that the book gives that the Jedi had lost their way? The Jedi, shouldn't they be working towards somebody's salvation to begin with instead of using them as a tool? Because in this book, very much they're using Ventress as a tool and they're using her in the way a villain would use her. Why don't they try to reclaim her? Man, that's I think that's an excellent question, and I, I think it goes straight to the Ahsoka arc that we had, mm-hmm. that the moment Ahsoka looked guilty that the entire Jedi Order, except for, I would say, Anakin and even Obi-Wan and even Yoda, they all stand behind her, and yet they're at the will of the rest of the council. You know, uh, you can tell in, in, in the scenes um, where they're in the official like governing room yeah. Um, where um, they have the the masters standing up there that Obi-Wan specifically is not comfortable with what's happening to Ahsoka when they kick her out of the order. Um, and, and he doesn't look comfortable at all. And and I think in the same sense with this entire book, Obi-Wan is th- and, and Yoda are the ones who are kind of set apart from the rest of the council the entire time. They're not comfortable with what's happening here. Now, whether they should be going towards Asajj, I think you're absolutely right. What's never brought up in this book, which I thought was very interesting, and I would love to ask Christy about this, why she never touches on the fact that we had the arc where, you know, Asajj helps Ahsoka. And that's the last time that we had seen her in the series. And so the last time we saw her, she's doing something that's completely reputable, which is helping somebody even though it's really not gaining her anything except for the fact that Ahsoka says, I'll speak on your behalf to the council. Um, And, uh, you know, uh, so 
I mean, she's doing it self-servingly, but she, I think before that, she would have just walked away, you know, if if not mm-hmm. even maybe turned in Ahsoka for the, you know, a few seasons back. So it's, I think you're right. It's it's a, this whole series is of episodes was a clear mark, I think, for the Clone Wars of showing just how far the Jedi have gone astray. So yeah, I, I think, you know, the whole idea of uh, pursuing a fallen Jedi, I almost feel like that the, 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 the Jedi have forgotten that idea of redemption. They're so battle-hardened that they're just, they're forgetting about what what they're supposed to be, which, which is in, in this entire, it's so amazing, this entire book is about how love can actually conquer all you know jedi aren't supposed to um have attachments but anakin's right in episode two when he says unconditional love compassion that's the very heart of what it means to be a jedi and i think when when you're reading this book you really again you see that come through with somebody like obi-wan who we know has faced off against Asajj plenty of times. And I think he's almost seen her start to come around to become a different person, you know, but he's the only one who really seems to be in that mindset. But this is sort of a foreshadowing as well, like with Obi-Wan going along with what the council wants and being uncomfortable with it. I think it's a beautiful foreshadowing, especially the way that Golden writes it of Episode three, when Anakin Mm, says to Obi-Wan, why are you asking me to do this? When he's talking about spying on Palpatine and Obi-Wan looks at him really sadly, he says the council is asking, you know, like it's I think I honestly think that this book is the, the true one of the true great points of this book is I think you could actually point to this arc as this is the moment of no return for the Jedi. Ah, no pun intended, but yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> but but this is literally the moment that breaks them, where they decide to go on an assassination mission and use somebody. I honestly believe that this is the moment where they can no longer win or lose; they can only cease to exist from this point forward. And I think the book does a great job of hammering that point home. Well, okay, hammering's bad because it does it very subtly. It uses the plot to show that to you. Because Windu, as well, and I, I want to give Golden, again, serious credit for the way she portrays Windu in this. Because the way Windu is, pushing for assassination, merciless, like just wants to end the war by... He just wants to be a hammer that just comes down and ends the war. And it really sets him up for being the one that is going to kill Palpatine. Like he it, he was teetering with the dark side by this point. He's on the edge. And I think that this book really shows that, that of all of the major council members, Windu has lost his way the most of all. Like he is really, because when we first meet him, he's a very stoic, very good. And in this, he's just a, in a sense, he's a ball of anger. He just doesn't care. He just wants it done. Just, and it's that ruthless efficiency that you even see in the Sith is starting to come through in Windu. Well, and what I think is that this book is is really a, a beautiful picture of exactly what Sidious has been working for the whole time, which is to undermine the Jedi, to 
destroy them with war. I mean, this he's engineered this war for the doom of the Jedi. And right. that by putting them in a place... I mean, what was so interesting about this book is that Windu was the person who said to Padme, Dooku couldn't assassinate anybody. He was a Jedi once. It's not in his character. And that yet is here is Windu, point. the one who is ardently saying... No, assassination is the only way. And assassinating the person who he said it couldn't be a part of his character, which is Dooku. And so I, I think it's really interesting because you can see that the Jedi are are slowly starting to choose the dark path instead of the light path. And I think that's what's so interesting is is even Asajj in this book, when she's talking to Voss and, and she's training Voss, She's showing Voss the dark side, saying, you can't defeat him with the light. You can't defeat Dooku with the light. You can only defeat you know, fire with fire. You can only fight fire right. with fire. So you right. need to learn the dark side, and you need to learn how to control it uh, so that you can defeat Dooku. And, and whereas, as we've seen in Star Wars, the only way to fight the dark is with the light. And, yeah. you know, it, I mean, you think about it, that's that's how Luke wins, is he reaches his father on a instinctual, loving way where he brings the humanity back to, you know, to, yeah. to Vader. And so I, I think that's what's so interesting is that's being beaten out of the Jedi here. And the only ones you see on the council who that hasn't been lost on... In, especially in this book, is 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 Obi Wan and Yoda, and the rest of them are really following into that that fog of war. Right. Uh, I I uh, I want to ask you, actually, since you bring up Anakin, it, he he's not a major character in this in this plot. He's there, but he's not. You know, it's sort of it, a lot of times yeah. with the the longer uh, story arcs, they would have the major characters in the background um, in a sense, like they'd be highlighted in an episode of the longer arc or something like that. But with Anakin, here's my question for you. As, as we both, you know, agreed on here and, and, and the book highlights, the Jedi have lost their way. The Jedi are going toward the darkness. Anakin is the chosen one. And they're relying on him to be the one to destroy the Sith, et cetera, et cetera. But, the Jedi arc in this book seems to mirror Anakin's arc as they both move toward the dark side. So my question for you is this, is in the book I got the sense, and I want to see if you agree, that Anakin is a bellwether of where the Jedi in general are going. Uh, like, do you agree with that? Like, Anakin isn't leading the Jedi toward darkness Anakin is the canary in the coal mine showing how dark the Jedi are becoming. Do you agree with that or do you see it in a different way? I think that's a really good point because as as you're looking at it, you know, the fact that Anakin has no problem agreeing with Windu that Dooku must be taken out and that assassination is the best way to do that. Um, and he doesn't even hesitate. Um, and, and, and actually this goes right back to the first Mandalorian arc where Obi-Wan and Satine are 
there with Malik, and Malik is is um, huh. threatening <laughs> yeah. him, and he just immediate and Anakin comes up, and you see the lightsaber come through Malik's chest, and and it kills him, um, and Anakin's like, what? He was he was gonna blow up the ship, you know, and yeah. and Obi Wan's face says it all of you, you. That's not the Jedi way. But at the same time, it's impossible to argue with. I mean, in a, right, like exactly. The, uh, Windu's argument at the beginning of the book is completely justifiable. You can understand because he says they witness a massacre at the beginning of the book. Dooku mm-hmm. shows them he he could have let all of these civilians go, and instead says, eh, "Price of war." Yeah, he commits wipes near genocide. Out. Yeah, and. So when Windu steps forward and he says, "This enough. This has gone on far enough. We, we've got no choice. We can't bring him in. We've tried to bring him in. We can't get it done. He's always a step ahead. We just got to kill him. We got to get it over with. Like, it's... The book doesn't, doesn't come straight out. Like, what I really love about the way Golden treats the, the, the characters is she, just like the stories, just like the movies doesn't explicitly condemn a character for their beliefs. She lets you see what it just what it illustrates about them. So Windu, like there's no point where some character stands up and says, Windu, you are too dark and you are making badness and everything is awful. It's not explicit like that. It's just this unease. And even when you're reading it, there's an unease. And there's even more of an unease later when you realize exactly how badly Ventress is being used when it goes back through her history and she talks about the irony that Dooku, the one who treated her the worst, is the only master she's ever had that didn't die. The one guy that deserved it didn't. And it's a terrible source of frustration for her. And then in comes Quinlan Voss, who at this stage you're unsure whether he's really falling in love with her or whether he's just using her. And I I remember I had a very uh, real visceral reaction to it where I was mad because I was like, come on, she doesn't deserve this. No, And so like, I think it's really commendable in the book when it goes through her history and specifically calls out how she's been emotionally abused, that the Jedi are just willing to do that again is just like it's heartbreaking on so many levels for her and about the Jedi to think, oh, and I I really think it highlights something that made everybody uncomfortable with the prequels to begin with and embraces it, which I, I applaud her for, is this idea that uh, the Jedi were not the heroes we all grew up thinking they were. When we go back and look at the quote-unquote history, they were bastards, you know, they they eventually were and yeah. kind of, you know, nobody deserves to be wiped out in a giant evil Sith pogrom. But at the same time, you know, guys, you weren't helping your cause here. That's one of the things that I like that Golding does in the book is that Golden shows that the Jedi who do survive are actually the ones who deserve to survive. They're the ones who deserve basically to train the next generation or the next the new hope. Which right. is which is Luke, and it's it's Obi Wan and Yoda, and when you see, especially Obi Wan's reaction, and and the way that he condemn, I mean, 
Oh my gosh. If anybody was channeling the spirit of Qui-Gon in this book and yeah. the defiance that, that Yoda said they did not need, it was him. I mean, he gets very testy. I mean, snippy and 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 I almost felt like he was gonna tell Windu at one point to shut the up. Yeah. Because and it, and and I was I was just cheering the whole time. And then of course at the very end, he stands in front of the council and condemns them. And like you said, praises you know the the name basically of Ventress, who's the only one in this story besides Obi Wan, really, who's been championing the light by the end. And I think that's what's so interesting in the book is that think about the real life of Christopher Lee, and yeah. Christopher Lee uh, was a spy in World War Two, and said of himself that he had to do ungentlemanly things to win the war. Uh yeah, uh yes, uh including and, including James Bond type stuff. Yes. Yeah. Now we as human beings without the force a lot of times have to rationalize doing ungentlemanly things to win say a war. Whereas the Jedi on the other side have the light side of the force and their whole being should be of we are of the light. We we don't just we don't compromise our principles because the moment we start to do that, we lose what's going to help us win. Yeah. You know, and and, and that's why the Emperor and in and, and Palpatine sets up this war is because he knows it will drive the Jedi to tip the balance of the force in his direction. Yeah. Um, by putting them in, in places where they feel like the only choice is to choose something dark. Right. And, it, and, and the Jedi don't have the fortitude anymore to choose what they should be choosing. And, and, you, and it's only those, those couple of characters that we see in this, you know, that really are showing us the, the the idea of the Jedi that we always thought that they would be. Sure. And, but they're they're, you know, they're on the losing they're they're on the losing side because they're the only ones talking about it. But the the irony like the irony there is that Dooku ostensibly left the order because of uh objection to them losing their principles. And so in a sense his reason for leaving was justified. But his act of leaving, I think, would have made other Jedi who were uncomfortable with things reticent to leave themselves because of the stigma that Dooku brings to the decision of leaving. But talking about Obi-Wan in specific, it's interesting to me that they chose the arc uh, to have Quinlan Voss be the Jedi that interacts mm -hmm. with Asajj Ventress. Voss, I think, is really the definition of a side character. I mean, he's minor to the extreme in terms of the movies themselves. He right. he gets a name mention, uh, which is more than other Jedi that people you know fell in love with uh, get. But I want to ask you about the book. Given Asajj, her her tendency from the very beginning to sort of have that sultry, seductress, flirtatious. Uh, relationship with Obi-Wan and the fact that Voss even teases 
uh, Obi-Wan at one point and says, well, what are you getting jealous or something? I mean, come on. You know, like there's an actual moment where they specifically, you know, hit on that. Do you think that this story subtracting the decline to the dark side that Voss follows? Let's do you think that there would have been a way to work this specific plot? I I have my answer. I want to know your answer where Obi-Wan takes Voss's place and he doesn't fall to the dark side. But he is the one that falls in love with Ventress along the way. Do you think that there would have been a way to work the plot that way? Or do you think that the only way to make this plot, this book, as good as it is, is to have Voss in that uh, in that position so that the character can go to the dark side uh, in the course of the story? Well, uh, the hardest part for me is is that, you know, I already have Obi-Wan... At this point, you know, it, it hasn't been that long since Satine has died. Yeah. And he, if, if, and we know Obi-Wan has had one love in his life and it's been Satine. And if, if any, if anything was going to ever cause him to leave the Jedi Order, it was going to be her and his love for her. Um, so I, I think that that makes it really hard to tell this story of having any kind of romance between even though they've had this flirtatious nature, um, Obi-Wan talks about it in this book. I think, again, they do such a great job of... He understands the character of Ventress and that the reason that he plays along with her is because he understands it in some ways. At, at, it's part of the battle with her. You know, like, it's it's right. part of the... The back and forth, the banter and everything, it, it's its part of the game with her. And so Obi-Wan knows how to play that game, but to him it's just a game. And I think the reason, too, you know, knowing the, the thread that happens for Voss in the comics, and that's where, where and that's really where he is the big character and that's where he comes from, I think... This was a way to take the character from kind of the surfer dude that we kind of got in, hey, Kenobi, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, in that one episode, The Hunt for Zero, and kind of bring him closer to what we had in the EU with the comics, that Voss, the darkness that he went through. So um, I think that's the reason they probably didn't have it be Obi-Wan because, one, it'd be hard to stomach when he's had this great love die and it hasn't really been that long. And then two, because it, it makes for a great homage to what we saw for Voss in the comics, which, you know, I, I love that they do for fans because they're, you know, the same way that they took the Mandalorians, they made them these, these pacifists as a great storytelling device to then bring them to what kind of everybody knew to make a really interesting story idea. Right. Uh, okay, so with with Ventress and Voss's, um would have been really easy to monogram their towels, but to have them yeah together, TV. yeah. Um, something else I found very interesting about the book was they go back to Dathomir that has gone through this giant, you know, genocidal purge from Dooku and Grievous to just wipe them all out, which occurred in the show. That's not a spoiler. Um. But they go back, and this is a spoiler. Do you think that Ventress's arc at that point 
is a purposeful uh, foreshadowing because I, I feel there are a lot of things that foreshadow the way that the story is going to go for the bigger people. Like this is the beginning of the next stage of the tone poem where she dies and uh, that's a major spoiler. Sorry, guys. Um, but she dies. And when she dies, though, it gives a, a possibility of rebirth to the death Mary witches because that pool comes back to life at the end. Uh, because, and so do you think that there, that it's twofold where it serves as that, that foreshadowing, but also they warned us that there are certain things that are going to happen in all of the books that will, well, not in each and every one, but there are certain things that will happen that will foreshadow things that will come in the coming trilogy. Do you think it's possible that they are foreshadowing that this is an origin point for our new dark side users in episode seven? Ooh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, and, and, and I, I like the way that you're thinking just because, uh, again, this book kind of ties together the, the way that the dark side and the, the Dathomiri witches magics work together. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, like we saw in the arc with Mace and Jar Jar, that Mother Towson was was trying to gather more of the Force because her magics and the Force were somewhat different. Yeah. Yet here, I, I felt like maybe this is a continuity issue, but I felt like this book was kind of saying that there's more in concert than we thought. So that's still a, a point that we don't really know enough about. That I'll just mm-hmm. say that. So it's probably, but I think that's a uh, God. That's a great question. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they kind of um, pull that out some way or, or use it in some way or, you know. Well, knows, I mean, how how Kylo interesting Ren. how interesting yeah. would it be for them to pursue, you know, essentially the return of the dark side in this, but not with, you know, oh gosh, it's, you know, it's just the emperor didn't really die. Like there's a different avenue that the dark side found to come back and awaken everything. I don't know. I you know I, I like, could be grasping I like at straws yeah. here. So no, I uh, no, but I think you know when you're talking about that kind of stuff, that's that's much more interesting than just saying, I don't know. At least from what we get from the trailer, it does look like there's going to be some kind of connection with somebody who is a dark side junkie, basically. You know that that they're a fan of the dark side and and they're right. They're, know, they're not true Sith. Yeah, but they're just somebody who, yeah. So I, I, them traveling around, you know, in the same way that it seems like Qui Gon had done quite a bit of force research, you know, by uh, finding the the wills and yeah, being able to meet these force priestesses that helps him understand these things and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I, I think that we could see the same thing with a dark side user who is trying to find ways to. Um, grow in power in the dark side and so he's he's looking at all these different types of places and and that's in the end that kind of really pays homage to the eu as well where we found out there's lots of different other versions of the force and even what you know the jedi might consider dark side that don't come like from the sith so yeah i think that's a really i think that's a great point um i wanted to ask you and 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 we had talked about this a little bit the other day but um 
and it came from uh, the Babel Conference, and, and one of the listeners had uh, asked this question of, of kind of reconciling Yoda that we saw at the oh. end of the Clone Wars. Yes. Uh, when, I mean, it's the very last that we saw of any Clone Wars was that amazing Yoda arc. I mean, spectacular uh, arc, spared no expense. Um, how do we kind of reconcile that Yoda with the Yoda we see here and in some ways, I mean, he just seems to be kind of giving in to the council instead of putting his very small foot down. Well, uh, I, I, I'm happy to take a crack at that simply by saying that my sense at the end of that arc in the Lost Missions was that Yoda comes out of it, uh, if I recall correctly, to you know, in summation says, yeah, you know, it's going to kind of suck, but uh, we'll make it. It's just going to be rough for a little while. You know, it's it's sort of that um, very sage sort of uh, you know demeanor. Like I, I always felt that the end of that arc was the beginning of Yoda's Dagobah persona um, peeking through. Now, of course, he he has some fighting spirit when Revenge of the Sith rolls around, uh, obviously, but I think that there's a sense that Yoda is at the Qui Gon level now in terms of the council he's not trying to guide the council he's not trying to put his tiny green foot down he's just saying will of the force we're just okay let's just see where it plays and so y'all are going to make bad decisions and you know i'm going to sit here i'm going to let you know but i can't stop it um yeah it almost seems like that old saying Everything will be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it is not yet the end. And that yeah. almost seems to be kind of where Yoda... That's my feeling is, like you said, that where Yoda is. It's He is only one voice, and yes, he is Yoda, and everybody kind of listens to him. But at the same time, he's really out... Him and especially Obi-Wan, they're outnumbered on the council here, you know? And, and so... Uh, it, it's interesting because sometimes you see Yoda be able to say, no, we're not going to do that. And then sometimes we're going to see Yoda say, well, the council said, you know, kind of like when they train Anakin. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up because I, I'm thinking now, like, this is this is in a sense a an arc that began with Yoda back at the end of Phantom Menace, where, remember, we were talking about this uh, in a previous episode of 602, where... Yoda says, you know, agree with you're taking, you know, uh, this boy as your Padawan learner. I do not. Like, he makes it obvious that the council overrode him. So, in a sense, Phantom Menace begins the arc of Yoda accepting that he can't, he's losing control. And maybe this story arc shows that Yoda comes, finally wakes up and says, I shouldn't have been trying to control everything to begin with. I should have just let the force play out. So maybe in a sense, this, this wraps up that plot thread of he used to be the voice on the council to a voice on the council. Another question that I had for you, um, this, the Jedi code, you know, you're not allowed to, to get married or have attachments. And yet it is, Asajj's attachment to Voss in the end that leads him back to the light and, and vice versa. Those two enable each other to both come back to the light in a way that they would not have without each other. Mm -hmm. And it made me wonder 
if the Jedi had not been so dogmatic about this point and basically just said, well, we know it's going to be hard, but maybe cutting ourselves off from a whole side of life isn't really the best plan. So you're telling me that you shouldn't have subscribed to the dogmatic, narrow views of the Jedi Council. Um, yeah, I, I could see maybe, that. Yeah, maybe they shouldn't be so, you know, determined that, yes, uh, attachment can lead to greed and all those things, but true love leads to the light. You're sounding like a separatist. <laughs> I, I mean, I, <laughs> no, I, think, I no, I get, yeah. I get you. I think, I think honestly that, um, you know, I think that there are plenty of examples of love being the thing that wins out in the end. Luke's love, willingness to sacrifice, you know, sacrificial love is yeah, something that, that yes. happens in, in in these stories. But I think also they show through Ventress and Voss. This idea, not just that the Jedi shouldn't have eschewed attachment uh, altogether, because, you know, you can kind of go back and forth because it's like, you know, it it was put in place because if, you know, what makes somebody go crazy from time to time but love? And, uh, you know, so probably the early Jedi, there were probably some pretty nasty uh, fights and disagreements. And they were like, okay, everybody stop dating. Just stop it. It's not going right. I could see that being why the rule was was put in effect. But I think that now that you asked the question, I think what's very interesting about this too is that Voss and Ventress show what it really is like for two people to be in love. You know, for a man and a woman to be married and be in a functional relationship would look like something like Voss and Ventress have. Yeah, minus all of the dark magics and everything like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, may, you know, maybe, I don't know. Who am I to judge? But the uh I think it serves as an interesting counterpoint because I've maintained for a time to- a long time that Anakin doesn't really love Padme in the sense that he he loves her the way that we would think of romantically, not the way that Han loves Leia. Anakin loves Padme because you know, he, he's almost like uh, William H. Macy's character in Magnolia. He's got love to give. He just doesn't know where to put it. And I think that Padme serves as a stand-in for the relationship he wanted, not in an Oedipal way with his mother, but he grew up in a relationship where he could express love and devotion. And I think that Padme was just, in a sense, there. She was an opportunity to express that love and devotion that was a part of his life. And I think that Voss and Ventress are truly in love, which is they're not, you know, they're not, uh, to, to use the popular phrase, codependent. They're individual entities that are choosing to be together. Versus Anakin, he always talks about how, you know, he needs Padme and he can't let go of her. And he has, you know, he is attached in the way that leads to greed, as Yoda would say in in Revenge of the Sith, whereas Voss and Ventress are in love the way that people should be in love, which is willing to sacrifice for each other and give up for the other person. They're not in it 
necessarily for them only. They're in it for the other person as well as themselves. Make sense? Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think, it. you know, it's so clear that Anakin views Padme as, as a possession almost. Yeah. Like, she, it's a possessive love. And, and it, yeah, it is. It's, it's um, definitely a mere... And in, in the opposite side of something like, you know, say Obi-Wan and Satine or even the way Voss and, and Asajj come to love each other in this book, which is, as you said, self-sacrificially. And it's that type of love. I mean, it, it's it's a, it's a very biblical type of thing. You know, yeah. it, scripture, Jesus says, you know, greater love has no one than this than he who lays his life down for his friends. And that's exactly what... Asajj does for Voss in this book you know she steps in front of the Sith lightning takes the blow and saves Voss life but also saves his life not only physically but spiritually and so it's that beautiful picture again of that self-sacrificial love Mm -hmm. that's what's true and I think um you know it always it made me sad to see, you know, again, Obi-Wan and like Satine who they had, they could have had a beautiful relationship and, and Obi-Wan is somebody, even though he's loved her all this time, he's been able to let that go at the same time. Like, yeah. I don't think they would have ever had a problem. Whereas somebody like, like Anakin, um, well, one, it's a lie Two, you know, because it's forbidden all these things, compound to kind of make it more possessive than it could should have been or could have been if 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 the jedi had just not cut themselves off from a entire part of their life because i did yeah and i think that was really interesting here because i think it um it's one of the things that they don't have anything to hold on to you know, when they're going down this, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And that's exactly what happens in this book. They're trying to be well-intended with this idea of assassination. And yet there's there's nothing else that's anchoring them, you know? Like, there isn't those, those important touch points that kind of let them maybe see beyond their myopic view that they're getting because of, you know? Does that make sense? It does. I think that... I think that we'll have a debate about this particular point because I think it, it, it's it's a fun one to to pursue. But one thing I want to say, because I'm realizing as we're sitting here having this discussion, this very deep Star Wars discussion, is in terms of the expanded universe novels, let, let's just start with them going from the clean slate forward. So we've got Heir to the Jedi, ugh, um, Tarkin, Lords of the Sith, uh, Dark Disciple. We've got the and a, a new, new dawn. dawn and a new dawn. A new dawn was, you know, really enjoyable. Really liked it. Kicked the franchise off, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Tarkin was meh. You know, it was there. Lords of the Sith, I really liked. But this one, this one is really special, and I really want to give Golden a lot of credit for the way she she writes it. When was the last time you read an expanded universe book and you were able to have a debate this deep about Star Wars based on what it makes you think of and talk about? When when was the last time that happened? Oh gosh. Uh I mean, and I don't want to yeah. hear I don't want to hear anybody in the audience. I can I 
and says, if millions of voices cried out in terror, the, the Zon books don't cover that base. The Zon books are just, you know, they're, they're fun adventure stories. They're, you don't, like, ask anything out of the Zon books where you're like, oh, that's a deep philosophical point I hadn't considered. We're here with Dark Disciple, which is making us, like, debate, you know, Anakin is Anakin a bellwether, was the nature of Jedi love, and all of those sorts of things. It has, she has really tapped in to something vital and important about Star Wars itself with this book. And I know it was based on a Clone Wars arc, but it still takes a good writer to bring that to life. It really does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, honestly, I, I was thinking about your question. I think the last time that something really challenged the fundamental nature of, of like Star Wars, the Force, all these kind of things were, was Matt Stover's traitor back in the um, New Jedi Order series when, you know, um, Jason Solo is being told that there's no dark, there's no light, there's only the Force, and and all those kind of things really kind of changing the what we thought of as the fundamental nature of, of what the Force was. That I think, to me, that was the last time I felt like you might kind of have some of these discussions. Yeah, I had tapped out of the post-Jedi EU before that point. So I would say, for me, the last time I had thoughts this deep or the urge to go back and reread something immediately afterward to try to glean even more from it was, and I believe Matt Stover wrote this one too, Shatterpoint. The one oh, focused yeah. on yeah, Windu. With, with um, Mace Windu, yeah. Yeah, going after Deepa Balaba. And they even make reference to that in this book. There, there's a passing reference uh, to Deepa Balaba, isn't there? I, I think so. I, I, I think there is. But the, yeah. that's to me really, wow. And, and Windu was, uh, yeah, okay. So in a sense, this almost fulfills where Windu started teetering on the edge in that book. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Long story short, it's been years for either one of us to come out of a book this supercharged, talking about the deep issues behind Star Wars. And I think that this book as well, and, and I, I, I'm sure you'll agree, it goes to the very heart of what made the Clone Wars so special. And it was yeah. that George and Dave were mining what it meant to be Star Wars, and it showed you how deep the storyline was going in the prequels and yeah. exactly what was happening and, and how relevant that is to so much of our lives today as we look at the long, slow slide down the slippery slope, you know, into oblivion. You know, the Jedi are being marched to the slaughter and they're almost going willingly. You know, because they're being force-fed lies that they feel like they have to follow. They don't see them as lies, but they are, you know. Yeah. And and basically the lie of, we're going to deny what is true, what we really know to be true, to do what we think we have to do to survive. And the, the denial of, of, what, of truth, you know. And I think, wow, what an important, amazing thing that... And it... it I wrote in my written review, it brings sadness to my heart that this show was cut down because this is what they were doing. This is where they were going. And the depth of that story and to know, as Dave said at Celebration, that they were going to end the series after Revenge of the Sith, giving you the story of how Rex survived, what he was doing, what 
Ahsoka was doing, you know, during that period, right after Revenge of the Sith had happened, you know, Order 66 and all. Um, wow, they were going to do some incredible, incredible things that were going to continue to drive at these points that we're talking about with this arc. Um, I, I just, it, it really is a sad, yeah. sad <laughs> thing. So. And I, I'm sorry, just I know this is a total side note, but you talking about, you know, talking about how Rex survived, uh, um, you know, uh, through uh, Revenge of the Sith and everything. I have a book over my shoulder um, called Dark Lord, The Rise of Darth Vader, where, where, mm-hmm. where Rex is yep. actually killed. Um, and so I, I guess that book's no longer. <laughs> that's definitely in the Legends <laughs> series now. No longer can. Yeah, that's not that's not true. That's not happening. Um, but I, you know, I, I think in a sense, I almost regret that this book is as good as it is because the bar now is set like Lords of the Sith. I really enjoyed, but it was an attainable bar for the next author. This raises the bar in such a way that I'm almost like, uh Oh, oh boy, this is, it's going to be tough for somebody to really come in at the I mean the reaction we're having to this book is the type of reaction I'm hoping we have to aftermath when that comes out I hope so I yeah. want to be able it's, to sit down with you it's a tough bar but I want to be able to sit down with you after aftermath and say wow what about this what about that what do you think this foreshadows what do you think I mean wow that this is real you know this is the real deal this is the real deal well, I have to ask you a question. We, we we have talked so much about this character. Yeah. But recently, um, I have uh, caught in wind, and I, I can't understand this, um, but this idea that Obi-Wan is a jerk and that, Obi- <laughs> that, that Obi-Wan is, is really the one who is responsible for Anakin falling to the dark side because mm. he's just a jerk i'm just gonna keep it pg here okay i want you to uh, how do you think this book kind of answers that question um okay i well first and foremost i would say even in the absence of this book um anybody uh holding that view is either a ridiculous troll and or didn't actually watch the movies that were released in which case may the lord bless and keep you because uh, I don't understand how you're walking down the hall without tripping over your own feet. That all said, <laughs> I'm going to say that this book in specific, by highlighting Obi-Wan's difficulty, like, by this point in the story, Anakin is no longer his Padawan. And if anything, calling back to Attack of the Clones, Anakin specifically states how Obi-Wan is holding him back. Obi-Wan senses something about Anakin that makes him not want to push him forward, that is holding him back in his training. And I I think that this book goes even further to highlighting how Obi-Wan is just trying to live a good example for his friend now, you know, and show Anakin the way. But Anakin... and the book even calls this out, is just, he's just this bundle of anger. And you really see the counterpoint of the different ways that they've gone 
where you see the darkness in Anakin taking root and Obi-Wan trying to be that good friend. I mean, we all have friendships where we've kind of grown apart and we see sort of a darker side of the other person, or maybe they see it in us. Who knows? And you remain friends because of the love that's there as friends or the love that was there as friends. And I think that you you definitely get the sense from this book that Obi- things are just too big for Obi-Wan to process completely. Like, it, he is living with the frustration of a hero in dark times. He really is a hero. He is trying to live the ideals. And I think that his... Uh, presence on the council I think that you're seeing why Qui-Gon never wanted to be on the council I think that Mm, Qui-Gon saw the way he would be unable to continue and so I mean you called out how Obi-Wan has a very Qui-Gon type of personality by the end of this book and I agree with that and I think that he serves to highlight how just like Qui-Gon he's trying to to live his life the best way possible because he can't force other people to follow. He can only be an example. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so he's caught in that that frustrating box of why isn't everybody, you know, we all agreed we were going to live like this. Why aren't you guys doing it? It really reminds me, you know, uh, there's the scene in uh, Phantom Menace where he says, why do I get the feeling we've picked up another pathetic life form? Yeah. And... At this point, though, you see him being the spokesperson for those quote-unquote pathetic life forms like Ventress. Yeah. Who, like you were saying earlier, he has such respect for, and I think he is seeing their growth um, and their change, and that he has a heart for people. He has an unconditional love for people, even if they have fallen on the dark path. And in the same way that I think you see that heart come out in episode three, and that is why he's screaming at Anakin with all of his heart of, you were my brother, Anakin, and I loved you. You know, like, um, and, and and I think uh, it's it's so crystal clear by the end of the book when he's talking to the council and he's saying, you know, Ventress was a true friend of the Jedi. Yeah. And she's basically shown us in some ways the error of our ways um and that we shouldn't have been turning to the dark side to try and win we should be embracing more of the light to try and win and um yeah it's it's really interesting because i think the reason that that palpatine obviously puts the jedi in this war is because they're be they're going to become utilitarian which is the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one well what does that mean it means we can rationalize doing what we know we shouldn't do our compromising our principles to try and win um because it it seems like the good idea at the time but really what it's doing is a chipping away who we are and at our, our morality, at our, you know, our very being, our core, our yeah. soul, and it's eating it away. And that's what we're watching is the the destruction of the soul of the Jedi. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I just, man, I, I, if, if 
if the people listening to this are in any way Star Wars fans and you haven't picked this book up, we haven't really spoiled it completely for you. And, you know, it's even in the sense of uh, like, uh, you know, with the prequels, you, you kind of know how it's going to end for everybody. Um, it's still, you know, great story. Uh, and I just, I can't stress enough. This, this book is a must have for, for fans, for, for all of these reasons uh, that, that we've gone through. It's, it's, just a, it's just amazing to me that I even went so far as to lift. Uh, it, if anybody knows uh, me and my, my tendency to shy away from um, physical possessions, uh, because I am a Jedi, uh, that I lifted my ban on actually owning a physical book uh, for this novel. Because even though we got to uh, go through NetGalley and read a, uh, you know, an early copy, I still purchased the book. <laughs> and it's going to be on my bookshelf because I'm going to go back and I'm going to reread it. I could just keep reading it on my Kindle, but I actually want the ability to sit down and write in the margins in this book and go back and reread it. And it, it's just, it's, it's marvelous, man. Sorry, I know I keep going back to that, but I can't, I can't help no, it. No, I am with you. I, I need to get a copy myself for that very same reason. Um, I was thinking about that as well. You know, the books that I own still are the novelizations of all of the episodes. Yep. As well as the Timothy Zahn books, both tr- uh, the trilogy and the duology. And I have a copy of Kenobi. Uh, and so this will proudly go on the shelf. Um, and, you know, I, I think that it has been so long since I have read a Star Wars book that I have come out of it and said, this is a 10. Yeah. There's nothing I feel like she could have done better in this book. I agree. I agree. I, I And I, I said this in my in my own written review, but even if this, for a casual fan were the first piece of Star Wars Expanded Universe that they purchased ever, then they would be able to plug in and go and just start running and plug right into it. And I, th- I think it would turn them right into, uh, you know, a fan uh, of Expanded Universe. Th- this would be a selling point. If somebody were to come to me and say, how do I get into the EU? I'd be like, read this book first. This one, and then we'll work backward from that. Well, and and I think that what you said earlier, and I, I just wanted to expound upon real quick, is is one of the things that Golden did here was that she was allowed to allow this story to breathe. Yeah. Um. You know, you talked about the fact that we, you know, with these episodes, we have twenty two minutes. It's very quick. You know, she was allowed to create the space for Voss and and Asajj to kind of fall in love and for it to feel more natural for that to actually happen for Voss to be able to actually earn somebody like Asajj's trust. I mean, Asajj is not somebody who trusts anybody, you know, but the fact that she not only learns to trust Voss, but also to fall in love with him. um, I think all of those things work together. And this is what I've loved about how tirelessly I think uh, Dave Filoni and Pablo Hidalgo have worked to try and find the right place for these stories to exist whether it's you know putting out the story reels giving us the comic giving us the book like this um 
Heck, I, I think they're doing a fantastic job of trying to find the best way to tell these stories. And clearly, Dark Disciple, I think, the best way to tell this story was in this novel. And Christy Golden was the person to tell the story. And I, I, we've heaped a ton of praise on her. And yeah, we got this book for free. That had nothing to do with our review. And because both you and I have no problem saying that we didn't really like Tarkin, Heir to the Jedi sucked. So, oh, Heir, to the, Heir to the Jedi was the worst expanded universe novel I'd read since uh, Crystal Star, which anybody on the Babel conference when we discussed uh, that uh, will know that I have a uh, if if there is a uh, if there is a special fire in some other dimension for books I I would toss Crystal Star on that and, and Heir <laughs> to the Jedi. Well, man, I've got to say that I've been looking forward to this all week in it has been an absolute joy uh, to be able to sit down the day before my birthday and talk about Star Wars with you, John. Um, but, of course, it is not the only thing that we have been talking about here on Track FM the past week. So here is a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. These look at least like they're pretending that they're sealed. Mm-hmm. Even if they're just like beekeeper, they're still beekeeper helmets. But uh, they really the do. mesh looks more solid. They really do kind of look like electric razors. Earl Grey. We divide the ship into one of two ways. Port goes to port. <laughs> I better not see any starboard guys on the starboard phaser target practice. You guys know which side of the ship you're on. The orb. And so they cannot impart to him the knowledge that he needs in order to raise his son. And Worf doesn't want to raise a human son. Like you said earlier, he didn't get the son that he wanted. He wants to raise a Klingon son. The ready room. We knew that Spock was popular, and we knew that Dad had some fans, but we were not prepared for what we saw happening in the social media, in the print media. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the New York Times reported that they got more hits on Dad's obituary than any other person personality in the history of the paper. To the journey! I can just hear the Earl Grey people screaming, Measure of a man! Measure of a man! <laughs> and you know what I would say to that? Death wish! Death wish! Warp 5. I remember watching Broken Bow when Enterprise first debuted when I was in high school. And I remember revisiting it now in full. And I had forgotten the fact that Future Guy had actually played an integral role from the get-go with Silic and the Sulaban, which we'll talk about later in the show. Commentary, Trek stars. It's all of these top-notch filmmakers, like people like Walter Murch, who literally wrote the book on editing. He, like Those guys all teaming up to make a big action kids movie, I think is really cool. The 602 Club. I think he's very much recreating that THX feel and you may di you may disagree with it. You may not think it's you know it's great, but it's on purpose. He, he wants that world to be that way. Let me just say, conceptually, I agree with that. In terms of execution, that's where I think he failed. Literary treks. It's amazing to me as I reread these stories how much of it I just kind of think of as Deep Space Nine these days, even though it wasn't part of Deep Space Nine, <laughs> you know, the, the actual series. Axanar, the official podcast. 
it is the spirit of TOS that matters that's being captured, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the aesthetic. The aesthetic was 1966 to 1969 that had its moment, it had its time, and there's a certain amount of charm still to that. But it doesn't allow you to push the narrative forward because that type of aesthetic holds creativity back, in my opinion. Women at Warp. She got that far without losing tons of crew members, which you know Kirk would have. She's the Ernest Shackleton of Deep Space. Of course she's an admiral. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Guys, check out these shows you can find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and, of course, in a galaxy far, far away. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. You know that. Now, guys, you hear us talk, I think, every week. You probably get tired of it, of the subscribing and iTunes and, and writing written reviews and, and star ratings and all of that kind of thing. And the reason that we ask you for that is that it really does help the network grow Um, If you've ever been to iTunes or looked for podcasts, it's the ones with the highest star ratings and reviews as well as the most subscriptions that rises up in the rankings. So when people are looking for different podcasts, if they're just scrolling through looking for things to listen to, your show shows up higher if you have more star ratings and reviews. You have more subscriptions. So if you love the 602 Club or any of the shows here on the network, Spend a few minutes giving us a star rating and a review and subscribing to the podcast, even if you have the master feed, because it helps us grow as a show. And it's really you guys that can only help do that. Um, And if you love what we do, uh, we love um, bringing you that content, and we'd love to have more listeners because that helps the network continue to grow. And we really, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate everybody who has already done that. Guess what? If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered because we're everywhere. Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from the website, and you can grab the RSS link as well. Of course, all of those places have great ways that you can share the episodes, or you can rate or review the uh, podcast as well, so try that, check that out. And then another really important thing that you can help us with is to become a patron of our network on Patreon. And what that allows us to do is to continue to bring the best podcasting content out there for Star Trek and beyond anywhere on the internet, I think. And that's why I love being part of this network. You can go to patreon.com and you can see how you can support us. We are a listener-supported network. We need your help um, to keep this going. We've got some great perks for you. Um, we've got the Patreon roundtables going now with Will Wynn heading those up. Uh, we've got exclusive content, early access to content. In fact, last week my associate producers got some exclusive content that nobody else will hear, but they were some outtakes that were so funny. One of our panelists literally fell out of her chair. Uh, those are the kind of things that you can get when you are an, a member of through Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and find the ways that you can help us continue to bring this content to you. Really like to thank my associate producer, Ken Tripp. He's been with me so long and I appreciate him so much for the fact that he has chosen to be the associate producer through Patreon here on Trek FM. And then of course, my executive producers, Norman C. Lau and C. Brian Jones. 
Guys, if you'd love to contact us and just tell us about your favorite Star Wars books, um, your thoughts on Dark Disciple, or any of the other Star Wars new canon, we'd love to hear about that. Trek.fm slash contact. You can leave us a voicemail. Look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. Twitter, at trek.fm. That's a great way to share the shows that we tweet out to you. Ask us questions. Get in touch with us. Um, help us out that way. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. Another great way to kind of share um, the things that you like here on trek.fm with everybody else on your social media. And then, of course, the Babel Conference. John and I both love the Babel Conference. We're there every single day. It's the best place to have a discussion with us about what we're talking about here on Trek FM. Just type Babel into the search field on Facebook or make it easy on yourself. Go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. And don't forget, we have the show page on the website with each episode. And like this episode, I'm going to put some special links on there. Uh, especially for some of the things we were talking about, like the uh, celebration content uh, that we were talking about. So you can take a look at that and all the kind of stuff as well. John, I um, I don't even know what to say. I mean, talking about Star Wars, uh, especially on as we're recording this, we just had a new behind-the-scenes video come out for yeah. The Force Awakens. And What's that? It's just... Was, is that a new book? Is that a comic? No, no, no. Is that a comic no, no, series? No, no, no. Force Awakens is the new movie, you know, episode seven. No, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I'll have to go okay. look it up on the internet. Okay, yeah, just Google it, episode okay. seven. Episode seven. I think you'll seven. find a few things. Seven. Yeah. Okay, yeah. all right, Epi- thanks. No, yeah, seven. So does this take place before the original? Or No, no. no. Uh, it's going to be after Return of the Jedi. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, uh, gosh, uh, we are living, I think, in, in really uh, what amounts to... Uh, the golden age for a geek. I, you know, I was just thinking about the other day. I mean, think about this. We've got episode seven come out. Uh, next year, we'll have Batman fighting Superman and uh, on a film. They're going to both be together with Wonder Woman for the first time on the big screen. Yep. Uh, we have all these amazing things coming out from Marvel. And, I mean, it's just the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Um and I'm just glad to be a part of it in a very small way here with the 602. Tell everybody uh, where they can find you online. You've got a couple of five-star podcasts that they need to know about. Yes. So uh, make sure everybody knows uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> where they can get in touch with you and hear your dulcet tones elsewhere <laughs> online. Well, uh, you can imagine my dulcet tones on Twitter at Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E, where I, eh, I blather on about things. Um, and then you can also hear me uh, on a five-star podcast on the Trek FM network uh, known as Commentary Trek Stars uh, that I have the, the distinct pleasure of appearing on uh, with Mike Schindler and uh, Max when he's available. Come back soon, Max. Um, and uh, you can also hear me on a little podcast with my friend Craig called Words with Nerds, which, yeah, yeah it's a five-star podcast. I mean, you know, and then with this one, I mean, you don't want to brag, star, but you know. yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's something in common about all three of them. I, I don't know what it could be. But, uh, <laughs> 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 but oh, man. please, come by. It's that bald Sicilian beauty sitting hey, across from me hey, in the screen know, there. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. Bald is beautiful, man. <laughs> Captain Picard taught me anything. It was to be that's proud right. of my baldness. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, come on over. Give a listen at those other other places and uh, feel free to engage with me on Twitter. 
Well, guys, of course, uh, you can find me on Twitter as well, at MattRushing02. You can also find me on Instagram, sharing pictures about what we're doing here on Trek FM and other things at MRushing. You can find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones talking about Deep Space Nine. You can also find me doing Literary Treks with Dan, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek. We interview authors. It's an amazing show. We had such a blast there. And then you can find my own personal blog, uh, like I talked about a few times with my written review here of Dark Disciple. I do book reviews, movie reviews, other things like that. And that's at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and may the Force be with you. <laughs>